Anti-Woke Podcast. Let's get into this. There's a new song out, kind of, called, I think, Go Woke, Go Broke. And TikTok recommended it to me. It's modern country, you know, pop music. And I don't know the whole story. There's just like a 50-second clip of it. Like like maybe there's a full version of it to come out later. And it was because uh, the Jason Aldean, um, Try That in a Small Town, that I've talked about previously. That was kind of an anti-woke song and got panties in a bunch for a lot of woke people. That's racist. That's the lynching, the equivalent of a, the song equivalent of a lynching, etc. So I think someone wrote a song called Go Woke, Go Broke. I'm gonna play the clip. There's gonna be lots of cussing. I'm gonna cuss now. Uh, Like some of the lines are, fuck Bud Light, fuck CMT. Fuck Target, fuck, and fuck Disney. All major, minor uh, targets of anti-woke boycotts. And I think the idea is that some, I hope this is the idea, is that someone wants to sell the song to Jason Aldean, and he will perform his version of it, and then it will become a number one hit. And the thing I don't know, I'm not up on all the modern pop country hits, so I don't know if someone just changed the words to some other hit, in which case that sucks, or if it's actually a new song, in which case I think it could be a hit. And I don't know if Jason Aldean wants to put his name on a thing saying, fuck every single, you know, major brand in the woke anti-woke war. Like being famous for saying screw Bud Light does not necessarily mean that Miller wants to be the sponsor of your next tour. I'm sure Miller is worried about being the target of a boycott also, so... They probably just wish the whole thing went away. They were fine being number five after Bud Light. You know, they probably preferred that to, oh, Bud Light's gone, but now who knows what the future holds. But here's the clip. Fuck Ford, fuck Adidas, fuck Netflix, too, fuck Starbucks, Barbie, will be in the view, fuck Biden, Kamala, AOC, fuck Snuffleupagus, down Sesame Street, can't take it no more. What's going on with crime? Well, we had a riot in New York City. We had a guy holding a woman in a dungeon. The serial killer situation continues on. And some cops pled guilty to torturing some black suspects. Oh, and a white mass shooter got convicted or something. Something, you know, a shooting from five years... A, ma- a white mass shooter from five years ago was in the news because they didn't have they didn't have a current white mass shooter, so they they brought one of those guys back and t- did some news segments on him. But again, I'm using NBC Nightly News as my estimate of what the mainstream media is covering on crime, and my theory that they will talk about a crime committed by a black person if it's interesting, and 
if they can do that, if they can talk about a white person in another segment. Like, I think they want to keep it, I think, at least 50% white or more. And so there's the white serial killer who's, like, going through the legal machinery right now. So basically, you can talk about him every week, I don't know, for months. So that's good. And then this week, there was a, a guy from Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is not that far from me. I mean, I wouldn't want to drive there, but, you know, compared to other parts of the country, not that far from me. And so this guy, he went to, I think, the Seattle area. He picked up a hooker, put her in handcuffs, and drove her down to Klamath Falls, Oregon, where he had built a dungeon out of cinder blocks. And he had pretended to be a cop, telling her he was arresting her after they had sex. But uh, turns out he was not good at construction, and she broke through the door. I mean, usually someone who has a woman in a dungeon... That's a story that goes on and on. I mean, people love talking about that stuff for weeks, but uh, he's a black guy. It's a great story. So I think they talked about it maybe one or two nights this week, and I think that's the end of that story. I mean, we don't know the race of a Seattle prostitute, but, I mean, if she's white, then that makes the whole thing even more unseemly, and you don't want to talk about it. And then on, is it Friday night? There's a story about, I think, five cops in Mississippi who, I mean, according to the story, they just randomly chose two completely innocent black guys and went into their house and just beat the hell out of them. And they said they sexually abused them, but I think they just, they threatened to rape them. I don't know. Weird stuff. But the cops pled guilty and I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, that's a pretty crazy story. I mean, people like... People like that story. White cops abusing black suspects. They like that. I mean, there's no video of it for for it to really go viral. It kind of came out of the blue. I mean, I hadn't heard nothing about it, and now it's over. They pled guilty. And then the same night, there was a riot in New York City. And I think they were able to talk about the riot a bunch because they had that other segment. Or they had to go find that other segment. There's probably some intern. Their job is, hey, we got a riot. Go find us a counterbalancing segment on something else but supposedly some video game streamer went online and said he was going to give away playstation 5s and a whole people whole bunch of people showed up i don't think to actually get the playstation 5 but just to i don't know somehow i was like hey go see what's going on in this in this place in new york union square it's crazy and people were jumping on cars i didn't see any twerking but they're jumping on cars and throwing stuff at the cops, just having fun. And it was kind of interesting to see NBC's coverage of it because they'd show you a crowd shot, and it was basically all African Americans, but then occasionally when they would zoom in, they would zoom in and they'd find an Asian. There were Asians in that crowd, and for some reason, every time they zoomed in on someone, it would be one of the Asians. I mean, Asians want them a PS5 too as well. The other crime that's been on multiple nights this week was a black gay dancer got stabbed in New York and they may charge it as a hate crime. And so the stabber is 17 years old, which means that NBC Nightly News doesn't have to say anything about them, doesn't have to show their picture. And so the viewer is unaware, but it was a Muslim person. 
So, you know, NBC News is pretty excited. Gay black man, perfect, you know, a perpetrator that you don't have to say what kind of person they are or ever show their picture. I mean, they never say black man. They'll just show the picture of one, whereas if it's a white person, they'll say, be on the lookout for a white man. But, you know, default in America is white, so the viewer is like, oh, a 17-year-old stabbed a gay black man. Those white people are out of control. They're always stabbing people. I mean, don't they know the media narrative that white people use guns? But the news keeps calling the victim a professional dancer. But they were interviewing one of his neighbors, you know, to say some nice things about, about him, how he's such a nice guy. And they were saying that he was always dancing, like just, you know, I think when he, when he would walk out of his front door and head down the sidewalk, he was dancing. And, you know, that's not a professional dancer. That's a crazy person. I mean, it makes me think of that subway chokehold guy who uh, was a Michael Jackson impersonator. I guess a professional Michael Jackson impersonator because he'd put out a hat for money. I mean, I've heard the stereotype that Black people are good at dancing, but it's starting to be this, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't want to notice these patterns. There's some pattern about people who go around dancing just when they're out and about around the city, and they get murdered, and then the media says they're dancers, but in fact they're mentally ill, and it leads to getting murdered. I don't know. A few more comments on that. Carly Russell kidnapping hoax I talked about last week. I think she was missing for two days, showed it up at her parents' house, then the cops interviewed her maybe on the third day. So first she made the mistake that a lot of liars will make was it was too detailed a story. Like, they caught her, she got away, they caught her again, they took her to a place. I mean, I can't remember it all, but there was many twists and turns, like a like a screenplay for a movie and anyways that's not real life and also it's just hard to keep all those lies in your head and then second off she probably believes all the lies from the media that white people are out killing black people so she had to throw in that the kidnapper had red hair I mean it could have been a Asian or a Latino who really liked anime but basically she's like the whites did it everyone will believe me on this so it was a hate crime hoax, as well as a kidnapping hoax. And then her ex-boyfriend, who supposedly she was trying to get back together with by doing this hoax, he was more involved in the stuff than normal. Like, you know, if I break up with a psycho hose beast, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want, I want that to be it. I want to stay as far away. But he was going on social media, putting pictures of her up, and then at one point he was taking all the pictures down, just looking kind of suspicious. She has since been charged with a couple misdemeanors, one of which has up to a year in prison. I doubt they'll do anything to her. But the only other famous national news kidnapping hoax that happened in the last five years was a lady in Northern California, white lady, kind of near where I live, so I followed it extra. Um, anyway, she did a hoax. She got 18 months, and I think she served all or most of it. So... Whatever. If this black lady gets any time, it'd be less than whites get. But I'm sure, you know, get ready for the media to cry racism. And then Charlemagne the God, who's a famous black radio host, and other people in general, 
you know, their takeaway, the takeaway that they want people to have, that they're kind of, the narrative they're pushing is that, yeah, this one wasn't real, but, you know, America doesn't care when black women and children go missing, and they go missing a lot. America's racist. I don't know, I don't know if you ever heard that one. But that's a thread that they probably don't really want to pull on too hard, because it makes me think in Canada they have this missing indigenous women project or something. Like in America, the troubled minority that all the whites want to help is black people. In Canada, their troubled minority that the whites just fall all over themselves to help and make false accusations of racism against themselves, etc. Anyways, it's, you know, Native Americans, indigenous, they call them. And a lot of indigenous women go missing, and the government created a inve giant investigation. They were going to investigate it for some number of years, really investigate the hell out of it. And then after a few years, they were like, oh, we didn't find out anything. Or no, I think they started out, no, we need to investigate it for a few more years. And maybe they did it for a few more years after that. And then they were like, oh, we didn't find out anything. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of the, a lot of it was cold cases that they never got the, to the bottom of. But basically, any time they ever got to the bottom of a missing indigenous woman, what they found was an indigenous man who murdered her. And I don't see any reason to believe why the situation about blacks being kidnapped in America be any different. I mean, if I had red hair, the last thing in the world I'd be doing is grabbing hoochies off the side of the freeway. I said something wrong. It wasn't the police chief who was trying to get more security, asking for it on the 4th and the 5th. It was the Trump administration. And apparently the black female mayor of Washington, D.C., who's the one who can actually call in the National Guard. I don't think the president is in charge of the National Guard. She's like, screw you, you can't tell me what to do with my National Guard. The police chief of the Capitol Police when January 6th happened is, he wrote a book and he's given interviews, he talked to Tucker Carlson, and he's starting to say that there's some sort of shadiness, possibly a cover-up. I mean, he doesn't have proof, he doesn't say exactly what happened. I think he says that he was asking for more help on the 4th and the 5th or something leading up to January 6th, and that when he called in the National Guard when January 6th started popping off, it took them almost three hours to get there, which, I mean, I don't know, but apparently that's not normal, or maybe that's not normal. And I think this guy resigned right after January 6th, you know, probably, probably was that or be fired, I'm not sure. But I guess his book is very careful to not say anything too crazy. But now he's going around saying stuff that's a little bit crazier. He's not like, it's a government conspiracy. They, you know, the deep state did it all on purpose so that they could blame it on the Republicans and swing the elections. But basically, he's saying he's suspicious, which I was already suspicious. But that keeps me being suspicious. And I believe the mainstream media is ignoring him. Obviously, they don't want to open any cans full of worms. And I guess his interview with Tucker Carlson was back when Carlson worked for Fox News, and then Fox News didn't air very much of the interview, and, and then someone leaked it. Like, there's a video of the interview, and it's all garbled, and... I mean, I don't know. Aren't we in the digital age where a copy of a copy is perfect? But anyways, it's like a bad copy of their interview. And in general, I think the question that we all want to know, besides, you know, did they... Well, I guess there's 
I don't think we'll ever know. Did they purposefully keep the security low so that the riot could take place? Um, we'll never know that one, probably. Even if Trump is elected and becomes like the greatest deep state taker downer of all time. But someday we may hear the number of how many federal agents and informants and whatever they call them, people get paid by the feds and work with the feds, how many of them were in the crowd? The Republicans, I think, were asking the head of the FBI, and he, he wouldn't say. But we'd all like to hear that number. I'm pretty sure it'd be shocking. I mean, even if it was just 10, but it may be hundreds. It's probably, I mean, I have no proof. My guess is it's hundreds and hundreds. And I just based that on the, there was that militia, you know, so-called militia that was just a Facebook group in Michigan where they sent a bunch of them to prison. And I mean, they put a ton of feds on just basically a Facebook group. I mean, if the feds have time to put, you know, 10 feds working around the clock for four years or something, I'm exaggerating, uh, to take down a Facebook group, they must have had a ton of freaking people at January 6th. All right, I hate to do it to you, but Burisma, Victor Shokin, you're going to have to learn these names. Normally I'd say don't worry about it, but I don't want to say Ukrainian oil company, that's Burisma, and Ukrainian prosecutor, that's Victor Shokin. I don't want to say that all the time. So Burisma put... Uh, Hunter Biden on their board of directors and gave him hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars. That's not in dispute. And Viktor Shokin is a Ukrainian prosecutor who had prosecuted Burisma over something previously. That is also not in dispute. And then a little third link in this little short chain is that Joe Biden told the Ukrainian government to fire Viktor Shokin. And they did fire him. And that is not in dispute. So let's go through the three facts again. One, Burisma put Hunter Biden on their board of directors and gave him tons of money. Two, Viktor Shokin is a Ukrainian prosecutor known for prosecuting Burisma. Three, Joe Biden forced the Ukraine to fire Viktor Shokin. Now, what's in dispute is whether or not all of that is just pure coincidence. I mean, it would be nice if Hunter Biden worked for many oil companies all across the planet, and Victor Shokin prosecuted many different oil companies all across the planet, and Joe Biden was known for going around firing prosecutors of oil companies all across the planet. And when you just have, you know, as many dots as there are stars in the sky, of course three of them are going to line up occasionally. Have I belabored it enough, the point? Well, so it was kind of funny because I, I sent those three points in an email to my woke buddy, you know, um, Hunter Burisma, Shokin Burisma, Biden Shokin. And that was all I said, and my woke buddy replied back to me, he said, boy, your, your legs must be getting strong from all the exercise of jumping to conclusions. And basically, that was the perfect thing for him to say. 
Like what is a real email is you send factual stuff to your, sorry, what is a real coincidence is you send factual emails to your woke buddies and by coincidence, every once in a while, they will say the exact right thing. Because there was no conclusion at all in my email. I just stated three facts. And my woke buddy's brain did what anyone's brain would do given those three facts and jumped to its own conclusion. He was like, he, he came to the conclusion that Joe Biden was doing corrupt bidding of Hunter Biden and Burisma. So that was pretty sweet. Alright, and then there's some other names that you don't have to learn. In fact, I can't remember what they are, so that solves that. But anyways, there is some rich lady who paid Hunter Biden six figures for one of Hunter's paintings. Also, Joe Biden gave that lady a prestigious federal commission. Not as cool as an ambassadorship, but kind of like that. So one and two are one, rich lady gives Hunter Biden six figures for his paintings. Two, Joe Biden gives her a prestigious federal commission. So is that corruption or is that just two totally unrelated coincidences? Uh, you decide. But make sure you do some stretching before you jump to conclusions. So to really put the dink in kawinky dink, the Department of Justice decided to indict Donald Trump for the third time at the same time that I believe Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner, was testifying um, in private with the House of Representatives, which gave the media the excuse to go, oh, Trump indictment, we'll just talk about that, don't talk about that other thing, nothing to see here. But the Robert Gouveia Watching the Watchers podcast on Tuesday, he did a real deep dive on all this stuff, Trump and Biden, and he put together clips of Democrats who were there during the behind-the-door interview with Archer, the, the business partner, and then they went out on the news to defend Joe Biden, so, I mean, you know, whatever. You can trust this stuff. These are the friends of Joe Biden putting stuff in the best possible light. So Joe Biden talked on the phone with Hunter's business, people he, Hunter did business with, 20 times. So I guess we can all take that to the bank and smoke it. And that was the Democrat. He was like, see, he just talked to some people 20 times. That's not selling influence. And Gouveia makes a good point. Like, just being able to talk to the vice president, that's a thing. You know, that, do you get to do that? Do I get to do that? Kamala, hey, can I talk to Kamala? I mean, I'd pay a hundred bucks to talk to Kamala just because it'd be funny. How much do you think the head of a Ukrainian oil company would pay to talk to Joe Biden? I mean, basically, Hunter Biden was selling influence. Influence that his dad gave away, so his dad is totally in on it. Although to steal Manit, there was some other Democrat who said they were just talking about the weather. I'm sure my woke buddy would hear that and just nod along. Oh yeah, just talking about the weather. Six figures money flying around all over the place willy-nilly and just talking about the weather. And then, now this is a Republican saying this, so, you know, adjust your whatever. But Jim Jordan, he said that Hunter Biden, his partner Archer, and then the top two guys of Burisma, the oil company, they got together for drinks, and then five days later, Joe Biden 
flew to Ukraine and said, we need to get rid of this prosecutor. Oh, and the two oil company guys told the Hunter Biden and his buddy they need to get rid of the, oil, of the prosecutor. I mean, it makes me feel stupid to even have to say it. But if you had that kind of situation going on with like Trump and his son and some foreign oil company and phone calls, I mean, the media would accept, oh, they're just talking about the weather. So the Department of Justice indicted Trump a third time. I was like a third time. They only indicted him once. But in fact, they did the famous one, you know, a month or two ago. And then they did one a week ago that we thought was going to be the big January 6th one, but it wasn't. And then they did, I guess this is it, the big January 6th one. That's the third one this week. And in my opinion, they decided to release that news right when it would help Joe Biden's problems get swept under the rug. I mean, in fact, this part I don't know. They probably were going to indict Donald Trump either way, but maybe they were like, they weren't going to do it, and they're like, hell, we got to do it now. This stuff is getting too close. The flames are getting too close to Biden's toes. And I will say, throwing in that second indictment, you know, just, you know, came and it went and no one even noticed because the big one came after it, that could be good for Trump. It reminds me of the Oregon Tall Furs. So the college sports team I root for is the University of Oregon. That's where I live. And way back in the day, the University of Oregon, now they're called the Ducks, but they used to be called the Tall Furs. They won the very first ever NCAA basketball tournament. And you know, that was 50, 70 years ago. No one remembers it. It doesn't matter. But here's what's cool about it. If Oregon ever wins the NCAA basketball tournament again, then boom, they will be remembered. Everyone will be like, oh yeah, they're the team who's won it twice now. They basically go from zero to two, boom. So there was a New York State indictment. There was the first federal indictment, so that's two. And then basically it was like, boom, there's four indictments on them. And it is believed that the state of Georgia has an indictment coming for Trump. And maybe, the, I mean, the Department of Justice, they've done, what have they done, three? They've done three. I could see him doing four. Anyways, that would add up to six. I mean, the math is getting so crazy, I'm not even sure what I'm counting. But I believe Trump might get up to certainly five and possibly six. And so the question is, how many indictments until, you know, that little sliver of swing voters, who are the only ones who count in the upcoming election, until they go, that's too much, this is ridiculous, and there's a backlash? Like to think back to um, maybe 1990 with Bill Clinton and the general public, you know, he was indicted over uh, lying about having an affair. And anyways, he wasn't that popular. And the general public was like, no, this is too much. You've gone too far with these indictment stuff. And Bill Clinton got like the most popular he ever got. And I'm not sure exactly about the timing. But anyways, maybe like, a couple years later, Al Gore was running for office, and people are like, you know, we were fed up with all those indictments, but now, in fact, we don't really want more of the Bill Clinton stuff, and it didn't help. It didn't help Al Gore. It helped Bill Clinton, but it, it hurt Al Gore. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but things really could get shaken up. And, you know, the actual trials, I think one of them is set for May. So that's six months before the election. 
I'm sure a trial could take six months. I, I mean, who knows? They could postpone the trials. They could roll six trials into one trial. I mean, who knows? But now to the indictment, I'm kind of like, you know, if you're going to do it, F and do it. But they didn't. They are pussies, I guess. Anyways, they did not charge Trump with seditious conspiracy or whatever the insurrection thing is. Those are the ones where if you get convicted, you can't run for president. So he gets to run. Trials can happen. Possibly he'll be in prison. Who knows what? But anyways, nothing to stop him from becoming president which in my opinion just shows that they are not really that certain about what they're doing. You know, I think it's, I think all this prosecution stuff, it's basically political. The stuff Trump has done is stuff that some people get the book thrown at them and some people are just completely let off and it's just purely up to the prosecutor what they want to do. So the fact that they're doing, you know, exactly how they're doing stuff is all motivated by whatever their political opinion is. Jack Smith is the prosecutor. He has to run it by Merrick Garland, the attorney, attorney general. And then Merrick Garland either goes and talks to Joe Biden, if Joe Biden told him to go talk to him, or he knows to not go talk to Joe Biden, if Joe Biden told him to not go talk to him. But he does exactly what Joe Biden told him to do. And this new indictment, it's, you know, did he knowingly say the election was stolen when it was, when he knew it, no, did he say the election was stolen when he knew it wasn't stolen, and he knew that it would, I don't know, cause January 6th. And so it con comes down to mens rea, well, it may or may not, but anyways, mens rea, right, this is why you go to law school, is because they name stuff in Latin so that normal people can't be lawyers, because otherwise it would be easy. But mens rea means basically mental state. So did Donald Trump believe that the election had been stolen from him? Or did he know it hadn't been stolen and he still said it was stolen? And then the prosecutors are like, you know, this person, this person, this person, they all told Donald Trump that it wasn't stolen. But you know, if a schizophrenic homeless person comes up to me on the sidewalk and tells me they're gonna give me a million dollars, that doesn't mean I know that they're gonna give me a million dollars. But here's where it gets tricky, is that Donald Trump also had a bunch of lawyers, basically, telling him that the election was stolen. And so this is tricky for the prosecutor. If Trump is like, uh, my lawyer's, you know, legal advice was that the election was stolen, how do you prove that Donald Trump knew the election wasn't stolen? Well, what you do is you charge all of Donald Trump's lawyers as part of the conspiracy too. That wasn't legal advice from the lawyer you hired. That was just you and him forming a conspiracy. Therefore, both of you knew the election wasn't stolen, and you went and lied on purpose. How's that for mens rea? I've listened to a number of lawyers break down the new Trump indictment. Uh, I think they're all trained at Harvard. And these new charges are not a slam dunk. They all rely on, did Trump believe the election was stolen or not? A lot of people, a lot of people told him it wasn't. That doesn't mean he believed them. And finally, a lot of the laws that he's being charged under are ones that the new Supreme Court is not super fond of, the kind of laws that they are. In fact, they're laws that may stem back to the early 70s Supreme Court, which was the one who made abortion legal. Well, that 70s Supreme Court may have made it legal to throw Donald Trump into prison over January 6th. And the new Supreme Court may say, not so much.
Another thing about Trump's trial coming up is he got a hanging judge. Judge Chutkin, black woman appointed by Obama. I guess she was selected randomly and she is known as the person who has given out the harshest sentences in the January 6th trials and has made comments about don't be comparing January 6th to, you know, racial justice protesters. And I used to think the jury interpreted the law, but the jury determines the law based on the judge's instructions. So she's going to be saying something then to the jury along the lines of, if you think that Donald Trump something something, then you must find him guilty. And she gets to decide what that something something is and how she describes it. And then the jury decides if the situation meets that. I guess what the saying is, uh, judges decide the law, juries decide the facts. And judges usually just go along with what the prosecutor wants. A lot of times they're former prosecutors themselves. And that's all standard stuff. That's why you do not want to get on the wrong side of a prosecutor. Even if you're innocent, they can make your life a living hell. But then the special case is, it's not usual that the judge has a personal hatred for the defendant, which I'm sure she won't put it that way, but sounds like she does. She probably thinks he's a racist. Okay, what else we got about Trump and Biden? So I'm curious to see how the Ukraine war may affect Biden's chances at re-election. And the closest comparison, I think, is the Iraq war. It's not the same. Um, Americans are not dying in Ukraine, or at least officially. But the timeline of the Iraq war, so it started in March 2003. Um, Bush got reelected in November 2004. So what's that? That's a, that's a year and a half in. People were still liking Bush. And then at the end of 2005... Um, support from Americans for the Iraq war became underwater. It went from basically before the end of 2005, Americans supported the Iraq war, and after that, they didn't. And, you know, they got less and less support. But basically, so that's two and a half years after the war started. And if the election had been two and a half years after the war started, I think Bush would have lost. And Biden's re-election is just about two and a half years after the Ukraine war started. And so I think, I think uh, around the election time, I think something may happen with the war. Either the war might cause Biden to lose, or maybe Americans still don't care about it, or maybe Biden's worried about losing, and so he you know, either really ramps up the amount of weapons we're sending there, or, I don't know, sends in U.S. troops, or forces Ukraine to the... Um, bargaining table and they say fine Russia you keep the part that you have now we're going to keep the part that we have and we'll have a, a ceasefire so we'll see on that stuff and apparently the federal government has been investigating Hunter Biden you know in one shape or form or another uh, for five years and so don't quote me but I think it's the Department of Justice under Trump started it maybe because Trump wanted them to I mean it obviously didn't go anywhere. Just because it was Trump's DOJ, well, whatever. Biden's DOJ does everything Biden wants him to do. Trump's DOJ did everything to screw Trump. But anyways, I don't know the exact dates, but the DO, I think the DOJ, they started looking at Hunter Biden 
with regards to the FARA, Foreign Agent Registration Act laws, like some laws that I, I think pretty much everyone can agree that he broke. And I think maybe he stopped breaking those laws five years ago. And anyways, here's the kicker. There's a five-year statute of limitations. So Hunter Biden stopped breaking the law five years ago. The Department of Justice investigated him for five years. And then now we are here today. The statute of limitations has run out and basically not guilty. But I don't know the exact timeline. It may be that Hunter Biden was breaking the law with Farah four years and 11 months ago. I mean, I think the DOJ is still currently trying to not charge him in any way related to Farah because it stops the clock. I mean, I, th I think maybe they could still do it like right now. If they did it today or maybe last week, they still could have gotten it in under the wire. And so, I don't know, I think the judge said, you got a month to figure out what you're doing with Hunter Biden. So I think they're trying to, it looks like they're trying to drag this thing out to let Hunter off the hook. All right, you can never prove this stuff, but if, if they were corrupt, this is exactly what they do. They are doing the exact same things that you would expect a corrupt DOJ to do. And they would always say, it's just a coincidence. And I've mentioned previously that for whatever reason, law schools are like the wokest of the woke. I think they're even more woke than medical schools. And both of those things are even more woke than just, you know, universities in general. But the best lawyers and the biggest law firms, they basically won't work for Trump because they hate him. They got TDS. And I forget who all has done exactly what, but maybe the federal government or maybe some state governments or the bar, whoever, you know, whoever controls the bar exam or the bar, whatever the bar is. Like they try and get you know any lawyer who works for trump they'll, they'll try and get him disbarred or they'll try and get him fired from their job to the point where anyways good pretty much no good lawyers will work for trump and i think there's plenty of good right-wing lawyers you know they go before the supreme court uh, to argue that affirmative action should end stuff like that but anyways even those people do not want to work for trump and i think he is a nightmare of a client i mean i think the first thing that lawyers always tell their clients is be quiet. Quit talking about this stuff. And obviously, Trump will not stop. But I think, you know, I think they've taken it the farthest they've ever taken it now. So the DOJ charging all of Trump's lawyers who are whatever, foolish enough to get involved with Trump on this election stuff, charging them as co-conspirators like, you know, prison time. Basically, if you let Trump hire you as a lawyer, we're going to send you to prison. So the amount of good lawyers that Trump could get before was basically none. And if it wasn't exactly none, it's going to be none now. The valuetainment guy was on Joe Rogan the other day talking about ESG, the woke corporation thing. And he mentioned that one of the big three investment companies, BlackRock, Vanguard, or State Street, is the number one shareholder in 88% of the S&P 500 companies. And frequently, those three companies are the three biggest shareholders in name any, you know, Coke, Pepsi, name any company you want. And when I look up companies, it seems like those three, they usually add up to about 20% of 
any random given country company. And there's a few more big investment companies that, you know, whatever, whoever numbers four, five, and six are, they own a bunch of basically every single company too. So it's just, it's not very many companies that own all the companies. And of course, you know, I have, my money's in Vanguard. Your, your money's probably in Vanguard too. So, you know, eventually it's the people, the American public that owns the stuff. But here is the interesting point that his name is like David Bet something or something Bet David, Valuetainment. Well, that those big investment companies owning all the other companies, it's kind of like a monopoly. It's kind of like every company is part of a monopoly. Like Coke and Pepsi have to fight each other to please the consumer and keep their prices low. I mean, maybe, but what if, you know, just to take it to the extreme, what if one person owned all of Coke and all of Pepsi? I mean, is that really competition between the two? And I'm sure it'd be illegal for this imaginary person who owned Coke and Pepsi to tell Coke, hey, you know, raise Coke's up 10 cents and tell Pepsi, hey, raise Pepsi's up 10 cents and then, you know, no one, and the public can't do nothing about it. So they can't do that. But they get to hire the CEO. You know, they could be like, okay, I looked at five CEOs for Coke and I chose the guy, one who wanted to raise the price 10 cents. And then I looked at five other CEOs for Pepsi and one of those guys wanted to raise the price 10 cents and so I chose him. And now you can't prove nothing. And that part's not woke, anti-woke. That's just companies screwing over the public like always. But it does mean that if Coke says, huh, we're going to hire a bunch of unqualified women and people of color for, you know, to make put in, in positions of importance. And, you know, you'd think, well, oh, they're unqualified. The company's going to do terribly. So they'll go out of business and be replaced by a company that didn't hire unqualified people. Well, the big investment companies, they're making Pepsi do the same thing at the same time. So they're both, you know, everyone is hiring unqualified women and minorities. So it's an even playing field and it, the cream, there's no cream to rise to the top. There's no competition to get rid of that kind of stuff. I guess that's a woke monopoly. But the owner, the owners of Coke can't tell the CEO to raise prices 10 cents and they can still get in trouble if they're just like, okay, I'm going to interview a bunch of CEOs and choose the one who wants to raise the 10 cents. Like, I think that's still insider trader-ish illegal. But various woke things, like discriminating against white men, that's de facto legal right now. So they can, and in fact, they are explicit about what they want. I mean, they, they're like, okay, we're going to hire a CEO. They tell them exactly what they want from the woke stuff. Larry Fink has given interviews where he says that. He's like, they don't want to do it, so we force them to do it. And I guess we're waiting for the Supreme Court to get to the general employment thing. They did it for college, college admissions, but they haven't done it for just all jobs yet. But they probably are going to say no discrimination on the basis of race or gender, period. And here's the question I have. Can you, I mean, basically, it's not legal. According, as I understand it, Civil rights laws and various, I'm not sure, but the, like there's a 70s, the 60s civil rights laws, and then there's a 70s gender laws, maybe, that make it illegal to discriminate on race and gender. And, you know, I guess the Supreme Court up until now has been saying, they've just been ignoring that and letting you get away with it. But here's my question. 
if you were to, you know, if you're a white man who got passed over because of your race and gender, you know, five years ago, let's say, can you sue the company two years from now when the Supreme Court says you can't do that anymore? I don't know if it's retroactive. Like normally law stuff is not retroactive, but if it was always illegal and it was just kind of a misreading of the law, you might be able to go back in time. So people can do the discovery thing where you get all the internal emails for all the big corporations and it's going to turn out that, I mean, you know, Google, I'm going to guess that Google has passed over a thousand employees based on race and gender, you know, unless they've done it to 10,000. And if 10,000 employees each get a $10 million settlement, Google will have to pay them $100 billion, which Google can actually afford. I think they made $87 billion in the last quarter. But other companies are going to look at those kinds of numbers. It's going to scare the pants out of them. I mean, that would, that would sink Disney like right there. Done. Well, there you go. Just as I'm talking to you right now, there's a... I kind of said something like this before, but there's my new theory on why all the companies are firing their chief diversity officers. To get a little less crazy with the money, you know, those are... Each one of those is probably a billion to ten billion dollar liability for the real large corporations. Patrick Bet David is the... Iranian-American valuetainment guy. That's his name. And he's not bad, but it reminds me of how I don't like listening to business people. At least the influencer ones you hear about. It's, I don't, I, it's hard to say. They're not exactly like a politician. It's kind of like they're trying to sell you something. I mean, even if they're a good person and their heart is in the right place and everything they're saying is true, it just comes across like a salesman, just, I don't know. But I'm still trying to develop a theory on exactly why, you know, rich and powerful white men are so in favor of ESG and using it to force companies to do weird stuff. And Patrick Bet David has a theory that the first thing you want is money. And then after you got enough of that, you know, if you got your $100 million house already, um, after money, you want power. And so ESG is power. I mean, it sounds like the underwear gnomes, you know, steal women's underwear, something, something, profit. But yes, ESG equals money and power. And that's why Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, is so into it. I mean, I'm pretty sure. But why does forcing all the large corporations in America to hire diverse people and discriminate against other people, why is that power? I mean, I guess if you're forcing someone to do something, that is a form of power, but you know, you don't you don't you don't want to use your power for something you don't want. I mean, you know, power is good for fun stuff. And money itself is a form of power. So, you know, just more money, you know, after after money you need power, uh after money you need more money. That is power. I don't know. Anyways, just it's asking the right questions, but it is not providing the answers yet. And to remind myself, I think it has something to do with European countries being woke. And in Europe, climate change is the same thing as it is in America. But over there, diversity means something else, because they didn't have slavery. Like France and Germany are the big dogs that control the European Union. And in France, it's illegal to use race for anything. Like, there is, there is no... Whatever, there's only one type of person in France, legally, and it's French people. But I do think there's a difference between men and women. Yeah, I think in France, diversity means 
women. It doesn't have nothing to do about race. Well, so this isn't right. But here's a theory. Feminism in Europe forces the governments to, over there to pr promote ESG. American companies want to do business all across the world, but especially in Europe, so then they have to do ESG. And then something, something, women's underwear. Niger. Nigeria. What's up with all these countries that sound like the N-word? It's like they named these countries to mess up white Americans. This is revenge for slavery. It's reparations. Okay, my cute little class of third graders, I'm going to point to a country on the map and you say its name. No, Johnny, not that one. So there was a coup in the country of Niger. I think that's West Africa. And the Non-Zero podcast has a better explanation, but it sounds like America trained the, I don't know, the special forces or the Royal Guard and gave them weapons, you know, and then the president of Niger wanted to fire the head of the Royal Guard, and the Royal Guard said, you know what, I've been trained by America. I got American weapons. Instead of you firing me, I think I'd rather be in charge. And so now he is. And apparently this is a thing that has happened in other countries as well. And America and the West is against the special forces, or I should look at what they're called. Anyways, let's call them the army guys. So we're against the army guys, and we say put the president back in charge. This is That's a threat to democracy. And this is just what would be normal shithole country stuff. But apparently the countries around it, including Nigeria, are all thinking about getting involved. I'm not sure who's on what side. But why do these countries start with N-I-G? Um, I had to look it up. So Niger, N-I-G-E-R, that is black in Latin. So I think that means blame the Italians. And apparently if there's a war, it's going to start the same day that I publish this podcast. So I'm already out of date. And I was looking up the, you know, the prefix that Niger is, uh, turning out to be Latin. So I went to Google and I started typing in N-I-G-E-R, and it suggested Niger-saurus. So I learned that, and now you've learned that. For that one, you can probably blame the French. The Ukraine war is still stalemating. And quagmiring, slow boat to China in, shaking the bush, boss, shaking the bush, if you know that one. But the big Ukrainian counteroffensive, it's been two months now, and someone ran the numbers, and Ukraine has taken back 0.05% of the land that Russia has taken. So don't quote me, but I think at the beginning of the war, Russia took over like 30% of Ukraine, and then instantly Ukraine got 5 to 10% of that back, and that was Kyiv. That was that thing at the beginning where Russia didn't, you know, had a giant procession of vehicles that all got stuck in the mud. And then within a month or two, Russia lost another 5% uh, because of Kharkiv. I mean, they really need to work on their naming over there. But anyways, Kharkiv is the second biggest city in Ukraine that Russia kind of had and didn't last. 
but basically, after they took Kiev back and Kharkiv back, it's been not much change. And I think that leaves Russia with 17%. So those two cities left Russia with 17%, and then this counteroffensive has changed it from 17.54 to 17.49 or something. So this is more information from the Non-Zero podcast. But last week I had mentioned that NATO had trained a bunch of Ukrainian soldiers in combined arms combat, or maybe it's combined arms warfare. But that's the fancy way of doing stuff that America and NATO does, not normally former Soviet republics. And this training happened when Russia and Ukraine were fighting over Bakhmut. You might have heard of that. And so basically a bunch of soldiers who just got drafted and had no experience, they were the ones who were sent to Poland or wherever and trained. And then the experienced fighters stayed in Bakhmut fighting Russia, getting killed. And that was when Russia was pulling people out of their prisons and sending them to Bakhmut to get killed. So Ukraine was trading their experienced soldiers for Russia's prisoners, criminals. So it's looking like trying to train green recruits how to do fancy warfare is not a good way to do it. And basically, it wouldn't be very nice, but Ukraine should have sent their bad fighters to Bakhmut to get killed and then trained their good fighters to do this fancy stuff, but they didn't. And then the other thing is, when America and NATO does combined arms warfare, they do it with air support, and Ukraine doesn't have that. And so maybe that's not the right kind of thing to do if you don't have air support. And so the Non-Zero podcast was talking about Ukraine and Niger and how basically America had trained the Ukrainians and it didn't work out. And then they trained the Niger Royal Guard and those guys were successful in staging a coup. And Lloyd Austin is the Secretary of Defense who's in charge of the Ukraine-America stuff. And they were joking that Maybe it would have been better if Lloyd Austin had been the guy who was in charge of training the Nigerian Royal Guard. So they would have failed. And that made my mind turn to a place it shouldn't go. Because Lloyd Austin is the first black Secretary of Defense in American history. And Lloyd Austin was a, or is, a retired four-star general from the Army. And what all that says to me is... Affirmative action, baby. I mean, it's similar to Harvard. Like, you don't know for sure. Maybe this is the one person that's different from all the rest. But, you know, if you look at an Asian at Harvard and a black person at Harvard, you're pretty much guaranteed that the Asian got, you know, 350 points higher on the SAT. And if you see a black four-star general, you're pretty much guaranteed that they were promoted all the way up to that position based on the color of their skin, and not because they're competent. And it's like the Supreme Court, where Obama appointed a wise Latina. I think that's what she called herself. And basically, everyone knows, even though they might not say it, but she's the dummy on the Supreme Court. And then Biden appointed a black woman, and I think the jury is still a little bit out on whether or not she's dumb. But she seems to make all her decisions based on her race and her gender. 
I mean, she went to Harvard Law, but if you want to know what she thinks about some legal topic, you don't go, well, what would a Harvard Law graduate say about this legal topic? You go, what would a black woman say about this legal topic? And then you know what she would say. So putting Lloyd Austin in charge of this war may have been a huge mistake. But to steel man the opposing point of view, uh, Rumsfeld, that was George Bush's Secretary of Defense in charge of the Iraq War. I think at one point he was considered one of the most competent, I don't know, you know, war thinkers or whatever back in the day. And I think he was Secretary of Defense. He was the youngest one ever in the 70s. Then they brought him back as an old man to go mess up the Iraq War. So, I don't know. That wasn't affirmative action. Maybe it shows that you go by competence and you get the same kind of failures. Or maybe, you know, a competent person wouldn't go to war. So you need, if you want to do some war stuff, you got to hire someone who's incompetent. I don't know. Just thoughts. It may be that a month of days where the temperature is over 110 in Phoenix, Arizona, that may be the best thing that's happened to them, I mean, almost ever. Like the cities I know the best now are probably Portland, Oregon, and San Francisco. And I think for people living there, they have the exact same problems. The top two problems for those cities are they're expensive as hell, you know, to rent, buy a house, etc. And then number two, there's homeless people all over the place making it a crappy place to live if you got past number one and can afford it. And, you know, that's the same situation, I think, for cities across America to a greater or lesser degree. I think Phoenix is cheaper to buy a house um, and probably has less homeless than, you know, Los Angeles. But I I heard a story about a homeless lady. She had to call 911 for an ambulance in the middle of the night because it was still 95 degrees and she was dehydrated. So if the homeless in Phoenix moved to, say, Los Angeles, because it's too hot in the summer, I mean, most of them are not going to be able to make their way back to Phoenix. It may be like a, you get to flush out the homeless when you have this kind of weather. It may be a city famous for being not good place to be homeless. I mean, it may make Phoenix really nice if you can afford air conditioning. And if that works out for Phoenix, maybe other cities will try and think of their own versions to try and get them to leave all at once and then... You know, they'll probably stay in California or wherever they go. I know New York City, they have a law that says you have to find shelter for every homeless person. And there's tons of illegals heading that way. And anyways, everything's full up. So now they're, I don't know, I think they're building tent cities on the sidewalk or something for the illegals that go to New York City. And basically, they're living the life of a homeless person. So I don't know if that drives them away, but might reduce the number who want to go there, I guess. Apparently having tons of snow in the winter, like New York, I think has, uh, does not get rid of the homeless. Yeah, maybe being 110 degrees every day doesn't get rid of them either. I don't know. Anyway, just a thought. The U.S. women's soccer team lost in the round of 16 at the World Cup. And they got woke in 2020, taking a knee, saying America's racist. And now they lost. So maybe that's a form of getting woke and going broke. Lee Kim Kwan. Sounds like it could be one name, but that's three last names. 
So LK99 is the science news this week, which it's supposed to be a room temperature superconductor, which is one of the holy grails of science if anyone can ever discover it. And the latest betting market estimate is that there's a 30% chance that this is a real discovery because people are always discovering room temperature superconductors that turn out to not work. But if it works, it means way better computers and AI. Getting an MRI will cost you 20 bucks instead of a thousand bucks. And cars may levitate over the road instead of using tires. But the All In podcast did a deep dive on it. And it's called LK99 because, you know, Mr. Lee and Mr. Kim, he's a couple South Koreans, in 1999, they saw a room temperature superconductor. And then they lost it, and they've been trying to make it back ever since. And I think they're a couple of real scientists. And then during COVID, they got a bunch of seed money and started a company to try and recreate that thing that they saw that one time. And it's made out of lead and copper and some other stuff and a special crystal organization of the atoms and they hired this guy Mr. Kwan to run the company so they could do the science and if this stuff turns out to be real apparently they got there they made one that worked they're not entirely sure how they did it but anyways the same time they were making the thing that worked they fired Mr. Kwan and Mr. Kwan was like oh yeah and so he published the paper saying how to make the superconductor and he put Mr. Lee's, Mr. Kim's, and then Mr. Kwan's name at the top of the paper. And that's because when you win the Nobel Prize, the maximum number of people who can get it is three. And I think the prize is a million dollars or maybe it's, it might be a couple million now. And so that forced the company to put out their own paper like the next day. This is all just on the internet. Hey, just put it on the internet. So they put out another paper. It's like Lee, Kim, a bunch of other names of people you never heard of. I think they're like, you can choose one of these other five people plus me, Mr. Lee, and you, Mr. Kim, will be in the three who get the Nobel. So they put out a paper. It has like typos and misspellings and it was a rush job. But anyways, people are trying to put their, plant their flag to get the Nobel. And so scientists around the world are trying to make the stuff themselves and see that it works, and they're not being able to do that. But some American labs have run computer simulations of the atom, lattice, crystal, blah, blah, and it seems like maybe it does work in a simulation. And it's just really hard to get the atoms, whatever. It's just hard to make it, and it's almost, maybe it's up to chance. I think part of the story for Lee and Kim might be that they were making one and they dropped it or something. And like, that was the, that was the magic thing. And then, oh my God, how do you drop it exactly the same way the next time? But it's like, is this the year where we get artificial intelligence that works? We discover that we have aliens and the government has a spaceship in a warehouse somewhere and scientists discover room temperature superconductors like everything happens in this one year and the year ain't even over yet i mean the obvious answer is probably not and then boy it's just like the aliens thing 
there's like pictures of the superconductor levitating and video of it and it's all super grainy blurry black and white crappy pictures and video it's like fine the government didn't let you sneak your iphone 27 in to film the alien autopsy but i'm pretty sure someone in south korea has a brand new samsung with 20 million megapixel so it's not looking great i mean basically just tell me when it's confirmed you know don't don't tell me that you got a grainy picture tell me when you got a good video or maybe the zoo hypothesis is the answer to the fermi paradox and i did a whole podcast on where are the aliens like a year and a half ago if you want to go listen to it but basically the drake equation says there's 10 planets for every star there's a hundred billion stars in the galaxy there's a hundred trillion galaxies and our star has been around for five billion years and other stars have been around for 10 13 billion years in all that time and space you're telling me that earth is the first time that a civilization has ever been created and there's many possible answers to all that but one of them it's basically the star trek one it's called the zoo hypothesis which is that there's tons of aliens out there and they got you know way advanced everything starships who knows what star wars star trek all that stuff is real but when the aliens look at the earth instead of conquering us or eating us or probing us up the you know what they just watch us like an animal in a zoo and in star trek that's called the prime directive where you're not supposed to mess around with you know the primitive planets that you go to but then some people take it even further which is you know don't the aliens ever talk to us well there's something we need to get to a certain technological level before the aliens will talk to us and so one one idea is creating artificial intelligence and so when some person sees an alien spaceship the aliens manipulate us so that we just think that person's crazy but now hey we invented artificial intelligence the aliens are like all right go crazy you know instead of preventing you from inventing superconductors and talking about alien spaceships you can you you can do it do all you want we're gonna let you you're off the chain and personally i think the zoo hypothesis is one of the better reasons because i think if humans you know when we're flying around the whole universe um i think that's what we would do when we saw you know some world that's exactly like 17th century france or whatever it is they do in star trek i think we'd be like okay yeah just leave them alone and in fact what you do is you not only do you leave them alone but you you prevent the klingons from going and messing up the country or messing around with them so the most powerful aliens stop all the other aliens from getting in there and manipulating us and then we get a bunch of black and white grainy photographs and videos let's talk weekend box office Barbie passed $1 billion worldwide. It may pass Super Mario Brothers for biggest movie of the year. It's breaking a number of records, especially like female versions of records. So first solo female film director to pass a billion dollars, Greta Gerwig. 
Margot Robbie was a producer, maybe the producer of the movie, so that might mean something. First female something something. There's four female-centric movies that have passed a billion, which is Frozen 1 and 2, uh, the Beauty and the Beast live-action remake, and now Barbie. And Beauty and the Beast being in there says to me that The Little Mermaid, if they hadn't race-swapped it, there'd be five female-centric billion-dollar movies. And the top four movies made over $25 million each. It was Barbie, Meg 2, the shark movie, Oppenheimer, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And four movies making money is rare. It's kind of saving the box office. People thought that movies were gone and, you know, the, inter the internet had killed the movie theater, but Barbie and Oppenheimer and then other stuff along with it has kind of revitalized it and maybe movies are back. Disney's Haunted Mansion came in fifth. It's doing terribly. Big flop. And then Sound of Freedom, the, whatever, the faith-based Angel Studios movie, uh, it's beating Mission Impossible 7 now. And in fact, it looks like when all is said and done, it's going to make more money domestically than Mission Impossible 7 and Indiana Jones 5. So that's a huge anti-woke win. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it has some race swapping. Um, if you watch the cartoon back in the day, their friend was a adult redhead. April O'Neil, and there's this thing where almost all the famous redheads from comics and movies and etc. have been replaced by blacks. Um, there's an interesting timeline with April O'Neil. You can see she gets, young, you know, over the years she has gotten younger, blacker, and fatter. And now she's a fat black teen instead of an adult redhead. I think the next thing will be transer. So Grace Randolph, the movie industry YouTuber I like to watch, who's woke, she roots for any movie that has race swapping in it, which I then root against whatever movie she roots for. I mean, even though I like watching her on YouTube. But she was complaining about how movies are going to streaming at the same time that other movies, movies that she's rooting for are going to streaming at the same time that movies she's rooting for are hitting theaters. So there's four movies that involve race swapping one way or another, which is Haunted Mansion, The Black Spider-Man 2, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, Little Mermaid. And Black Spider-Man 2 is hitting streaming right now, the same time that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is in the theater. And they have like a similar art style, animated movies, and anyway, so that may hurt TMNT. And those aren't the same companies, so they don't care about the other movie. But um, Little Mermaid and Haunted Mansion, those are both race-swapped Disney movies. And Little Mermaid is hitting streaming right now when Haunted Mansion is was trying to not be a flop, but it is a flop. Possibly because people are staying home and watching Little Mermaid. And the two, move, two new movies, The Meg 2 and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, Hispanics tied and beat Caucasians for percentage of box office. And in fact, both of those movies did great with everyone except for Caucasians. And TMNT is supposed to be a good movie, and The Meg 2 is supposed to be terrible. And The Meg 2 is interesting. The Meg 1 and 2, they're both 
like half Chinese movies. The the money put up to make them and the actors. I mean, you know, like who's who who's that guy? Who's that girl? Well, they're all like superstars in China that we never heard of. Plus Jason Statham. Now the question is, is Barbie a victory for woke? And it's certainly not a victory for anti-woke, although some people are saying it's based, that it's satire or, you know, it goes so far that it makes fun of wokeness and feminism. That may just be cope. But what is woke? So I'm just going to make up some numbers. I'm going to say that woke is 80% about race, 15% about transgender, and then maybe that 5% that's left over, is that feminism? I mean, transgender is against feminism in a lot of ways, where, you know, women with penises get all the privileges, and the old kind of women need to step aside. So it's kind of a mixed bag for everyone. Um, I'm waiting for it to hit illegal downloading. I'd probably check it out. And then I will know if it's actually woke or anti-woke or satire or who knows what, poison pill. Ken is actually the star of the movie, and he's the only likable character. I heard that. It does have something where the gears in my car aren't working right, and I have to get a new tranny. I watched the new movie Joyride, or I tried to. I probably watched first 20, 25 minutes. And it's a comedy about four Chinese-American women who go to China, and hilarity is supposed to ensue. And it's written and directed by the Malaysian-American woman who wrote um, Crazy Rich Asians, which I like that movie. And it's racist against white people, but... I mean, that would have been okay if it was funny, but it just wasn't that funny. And it starts off with two of the Chinese women when they're little kids. And these women are maybe, you know, in their mid to late 30s. So I think this would be like 2000. And they go to the park to play, and some white boy comes up and is like, Ching Chongs can't play here. And I was like, yeah, maybe a white kid would say that in the early 80s. But, you know, like, just now, I just put together what year this is supposed to be. I don't think white kids were saying that in, you know, 2002. I mean, it was supposed to be funny because the little Chinese girl just punches him in the face. Like, you know, ha-ha, it's funny because it's true. Little white boys always going around being racist, and then little Chinese girls punching them in the face and owning them. Um, I don't know. It didn't strike me as a true thing, so I, I didn't laugh. There's a lot of, you know, white people be like this, Chinese people be like that kind of humor. I mean, it's a little hard to make fun of white people. The stereotypes are not that good. I mean, I guess the stereotype, the only real one that's going around nowadays is that white people are racist. Now... That's not actually true. White Americans are the least racist people that have ever existed in the history of the earth. But I guess if you, you know, if you listen to the mainstream media, you would be under the false impression that white people are racist. So that probably was funny to people. They're like, ah, it's funny because it's true. White boys are always so racist. While they were doing their white people be like this, white people be like that. They did have one that made me laugh because it's kind of kind of funny. They're like, this place is as white is a bar that has a board game on every table. And they arrive at the airport in China and, you know, instead of white people be like this, they're like, Koreans be like this, Japanese be like that. 
Like they said, Koreans all have the same face. People from Shanghai are really vain. I mean, those stereotypes just, they didn't hit very hard. Maybe they were doing kid gloves. Um, you know, the stereotypes or the realities. Uh, Koreans are the good-looking Asians. They should have said that. That would have been funny. There's a YouTube channel called Asian Boss where they do man-on-the-street interviews in Asian countries. And, like, you know, they go to... They have, they have an episode where it's like, what's, what's the best-looking kind of Asian? And they go in, you know, a bunch of Chinese cities. They ask people on the street in Japan. Everyone agrees Koreans are the best-looking. I don't remember if they asked Koreans. Koreans are probably probably wouldn't want to praise themselves too much. But anyways, Chinese and Japanese agree. Koreans are the best looking. Like you've heard of K-pop, Korean pop music. Um, China has their own pop. I don't know, C-pop or whatever. But I think they're not as good looking. So they're not the worldwide phenomenon that K-pop is. And then Shanghai is the Western kind of hipster Paris, New York city in China. It's probably... I don't know. Could have done something other than just saying they're vain. I mean, they're the hipsters that the communist government hates. I mean, I don't know how much of the audience would know that is true, but I, I feel like I could write the jokes better than the movie. Anyways, I think if you're an Asian woman, you'd probably like the movie more. I mean, it wouldn't make it a well-written comedy, but I think you'd, I don't know, whatever. I think an Asian woman would like it more for whatever reason play into their false beliefs or I think you'd just be in a better mood. I mean I kind of wanted to like it and laugh but I wasn't I wasn't trying. I wasn't try hard. And they also they had like a long running pussy joke. Like one of the women has a one, one of the women has a tattoo on her pussy and and another woman is just thinking about it and making jokes. I mean it goes on for I don't know, maybe 12 jokes in a row. They just kind of cut cut to the next joke, cut to the next joke as they're getting in the car and then getting out of the car and then going into the hotel. Cut to the next joke. But it wasn't that funny. She's like, "Was the, is the tattoo on its side? Is it straight up and down? Is it on the outside? Is it on the inside? Just on and on. It just wasn't, I don't know, wasn't that funny. But yeah, you know, whatever. I cuss sometimes. I think guys find dick jokes pretty funny, so maybe... Women find pussy jokes funny, so yeah, probably a woman would like this movie more. She'd be like, aha, pussy jokes. I know Amy Schumer is famous for talking about her yeasty discharge or something. Alright, here's a joke. Hipster white people be making movies where no one is likable. And that's basically what happened in this movie, too. I mean, the movie's not trying to be high art. But it's like all those movies that try and be high art... And they think the way you do that is by making everyone be totally unlikable. Um, well, so there's my review. Well, Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast. Same for YouTube. Links in the description. And thanks for listening.